Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown Show, a show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality, and creating change. Today, I'm joined by Shirley Exime and Erica Ayudele Dixon of the Black Women's Blueprint. The Black Women's Blueprint began in 2008 grappling with the state of black women in the United States across the issues of ethnicity, nationality, class, sexual orientation, gender identity, and our many intersections. Meeting in sister circles in living rooms, backyards, and around kitchen tables, their main focus was the 2008 Democratic primaries. Both Democratic candidates presented their blueprints for change, but neither took full stock of the particular problems Black women were facing within their communities and in the greater society. Black women needed to offer their own voice, their own blueprint for change that equally reflected and benefited Black women, and thus Black Women's Blueprint was formed. What makes BWB Unique is its specific focus on black women and its departure from the rubric of women of color. Black Women's Blueprint envisions a world where women and girls of African descent are fully empowered and where gender, race, and other disparities are erased. Shirley is one of the co-founding members of BWB and is program director of Office of Violence Against Women. She's a radical black feminist whose formative years were shaped in transnational justice work by the matriarch of her family. While on the board, Shirley galvanized BWB's first community health event in partnership with Medgar Evers College Women's Center. Since the age of 15, Erica has worked and led activist initiatives nationally and internationally. She's a queer woman of color a rape survivor, a human rights advocate, and an educator. Currently, she serves as a public policy program director at BWB, where she advocates to center black women survivors in both local and national policies. Shirley and Erica, welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. How are you both today? Thank you, Michelle, for having us on, on your um, webinar. Um, I am wonderful, thank you. I am back home in North Carolina, Greensboro, where there's plenty of sunshine, and I'm enjoying right. you know, this moment. <laughs> thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you um, again for inviting us to be on the show, and I'm doing great. I'm a little jealous of the warm weather that I think Shirley's enjoying. Um, <laughs> it's still cold. It's just very sunny okay. and not so cold. <laughs> mm-hmm. yes. But I'm good, I'm good. 
Right. Well, you know, I've got that. My my mother's family was initially from North Carolina, so oh, you yeah. know, yeah, um, they were near. They were from a little place called Cullowee, which is not far from Asheville. And okay. you know, okay. and whenever I drive through there, I say, you know, I should go back. I should go. I you know, I should recover that. But I think that yeah. that that's you know, the beauty of the internet. You know, we love it. We're able to connect from all over. You know, um, what made me. I've been aware of the Black Women's Blueprint. I have a lot of friends who are in New York, friends who are in Brooklyn, friends who are involved with it. But it was earlier this year. I was sitting talking to a young woman who was from Brooklyn, and she is Afro-Caribbean, and we were talking about that. We were talking about, you know, identity and how she came to know, you know, who she was. And she talked about how when she was a young kid, you know, she was just like being a kid. But it it was in high school that she started to recognize that there was something different. And then she said she attended a couple of things that Black Women's Blueprint had, and it made her start to think about life as a black woman. Mm. And I'm going like, you know, that's a sign I need to be talking to these people. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. Absolutely. I think that, that your, the story that you've just shared is really uh, an epic story and not such a unique experience for us as members of the organization to see um, women, black women, black young women, um, older women come within our doors um, and, and be transformed and be, and be still safe in a space to actually express themselves and identify as they identify. So I'm really, really happy to hear that this young woman did show up at, you know, at our um, home space, um, our home office space, if you will, and, and was able to, to find um, sistership, to find fellowship um, within this organization so that she can be empowered in her own life. So thank you for that experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, but- there's something about that too, that sisterhood. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Shirley, you were one of the the co-founders, yes. and in that moment, you know, I mean, because we often talk about, I mean, and that's what that's what black women do around right. the kitchen table, Absolutely. around the coffee <laughs> table. We be, yes. we develop our activism, but sure. to take that from during that period of time when you're looking at two, I mean, two candidates that, you know, people could say could appeal to you either way, but then you said we have to make our own blueprint. What was the process behind that, and what took it from those sister circles to being an organization? Well, it took the leadership and directorship of Farah Tanis. Farah Tanis is the executive director of the organization, and she is one of the co-founding members. And she's also my dear friend. She and I, we had been doing this work in community, um, doing um, domestic violence work and sexual violence work in the Haitian and French-speaking African communities for years back. And so when 2008 campaigns came about, um, Farah literally called me and said, listen, you know what, I'm seeing that every person is speaking of a blueprint but nothing is speaking to black women's experience. So I would love for us to start something. And, it's, and, it, and so I said, right on, let's do that. And so it, it 
naturally started with gathering in our home. So we had salons. Farah is a great cook, and so, you know, inviting <laughs> folks to come over and cook. <laughs> that and is eat. true. And also mm-hmm. I'm a massage therapist, so I would bring my chair massage or my, you know, whatever equipment I had, and we'd just gather in her home and just have little healing events in the space, and we started gathering data. And these are the women, our friends who are successful, college grads, you know, post-grad, um, career-oriented, who are also survivors and were triggered even in the space that we are creating. So then that's when we started documenting this information, a soft survey, um, you know, gathering folks. And Farah, of course, because she is, this is her work, this is her um, movement, um, she decided that she was going to, you know, start from scratch with building the organization as a 501c3, gathering trusted sisters around her. Um, and and that's, that's how it all started. So till this day, in fact, um, February 5th, next this coming Monday, we're launching our conception year, right? So 2008, we're launching 10 years since we've been um, um, founded. Um, and so the members are coming back. Those sisters who were initially in the living room in Brooklyn are going to be in the now office space and library and museum and healing center that is on Empire Boulevard in Crown Heights. Um, mm. and so that's how it all came about. It came about, you know, from passion. It come, came about as, you know, us being survivors, um, being um, coming from various um, black communities. You know, some of us are Caribbean, others are, you know, Nigerian, others are Senegalese, South African, um, African American. And so we decided that, you know what, we have a common, we have a common uh, um, issue. Um, and so we need to make, make that the forefront of our um, mission and our vision to empower women and girls in our communities. You know, and I think that that's the thing that is, is so beautiful. How often do you hear, you know, and well, you know, black women, they can't, they can't work together. Black women can't come together. Although we continually and consistently are doing work together and leading mm-hmm. movement and leading our communities. But not only did you, I mean, like you're talking about people from, we came together as black women. Didn't yes. matter where, where, wherever across the diaspora you were, you came sure. together as black women. Yes. Did you, do you ever, when you hear people, and you know, and you still hear it, oh, black people can't work together, black women can't work together, they, you know, they can't do it. How do you, do you ever still hear that? And what is your, your pushback besides look at us, you know, 10 years in? <laughs> right. Um, well, to that, I say that, you know, I personally cannot, uh, you know, uh, waste my energy and my time on hearsay and what, you know, stereotypes mm-hmm. are happening against us, right? The work is to, we're, we're too important. We're too valuable in the community not to want to, you know, uh, uh, push back against these stereotypical um, narratives, mm-hmm. right? And so absolutely, um, you know, even amongst our sistership, truth, justice, healing, reconciliation, that means that that starts with ourselves first. That is not mm-hmm. to say that, you know, we don't have conflict. That is not to say that the stress does not take a toll on us and we're exhausted. And then the people that get, you know, the, the hurt is the one closest to us. However, we heal from that. We reconcile with that. We make peace with ourselves and each other, and we continue to do the work. And so this is how we push back. We push back not to, you know, put a bullhorn saying that, no, yes, we do do the work together and we're, all, mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're sisters, yet we're just showing you. So our actions speak louder mm-hmm. than the words that they're throwing at us. 
you know? Mm-hmm. And so this is mm-hmm. how we, decide, we decided that we're going to push back against, um, uh, uh, you know, terror, and I'm calling it terror, mm-hmm. um, mental terror, psychological, emotional terror, um, when you hear these things. And so even with um, our March for Black Women this past um, September, on September 30th, one of the slogans was that we trust black women because we are survivors mm-hmm. of sexual assault, we are survivors of rape, we are survivors of intergeneration, intergenerational trauma, excuse me, we are um, survivors of mass migration, some of us that are coming from overseas. And so we know that, you know, when a girl or a young woman or an older woman comes to us and says that I was assaulted, whether it was as a child or just recently, we do not question that. We believe that because we know if it wasn't us directly, it was our mother. If it wasn't our mother, mm-hmm. it was our grandmother. We know the stories. And so we do not uh, uh, succumb to um, the rhetoric except we act and we love and we offer healing and justice and truth in our narrative at Black Women's Blueprint. Now, Erica, I mean, you've been doing this. I mean, you started doing it at 15. I mean, I am just like so <laughs> I mean, Impressive. at 15. You know, at 15, you know. I mean, I was thinking out. You were doing it. I mean, you've been to Morocco. You've been to India. Okay. I mean, and now you, to me, Mm-hmm. If someone who had started that, this would be like the dream job to be working with this group. What yes. attracted you to the blueprint, and what did you find mm-hmm. there? Because I think mm-hmm. it's more than a job. Oh, for sure. <laughs> it is definitely 100% more than a job. Um, I came into Blackwoman's Blueprint. I started, um, as Julie said, you know, we've been in the community. We, it's not just that we stay, you know, at our office and just do our work. Um, in our office, we go out, we meet folks, and I was lucky enough to meet one of the counselors at a community event, um, and we just got to talking, and the way that she approached me was not, oh, you have XYZ diagnosis, or oh, maybe like this is what's wrong with you. She approached me as a human being, and that made me mm-hmm. want to work with her. Yes. Um, so mm-hmm. I started working with her um, in a therapeutic relationship, and she was affiliated with BWB. And, you know, one day she comes in, it's like, we're doing a Truth and Reconciliation Commission um, that's going to focus on um, rape of black women and girls across, um, intergenerationally across African diaspora um, that was state sanctioned by the U.S. And I think that this is a process that you should think about um, doing. And I agreed to be part of this TRC. And I admit that when I agreed to it, I didn't realize what was going to happen, the magic that was going to happen. Mm, Magic, Um, yes. (laughs) Because it truly was um, a transformative experience. There were 15 um, testifiers, and every week for like a month or two, we uh, met online, and we were really just talking and being in sisterhood and really saying, you know, I believe you, I see you, I know what you're going through, I recognize that. so much so to the, to the point where we actually met in person. It was just like a huge homecoming reunion sort of thing um, the night before the TRC, and then we went through this process together, and it, we call it the Beloved Village, um, mm. and it really is a Beloved Village, and I always think about, you know, the Kambahi River Collective and folks mm. being at that kitchen table and having analysis and talking about their lives, and for me, like, that was a continuation of the work. 
Um, and so that's how I got introduced to BWB, and all the kind of stars aligned and the universe aligned, and I was graduating that year as well, um, and I was able to start working with BWB after graduation. Um, and it's always funny to me when folks, going back to when you were talking about how people say, oh, like, black women can't work together, black folks can't work together, because I remember walking into this space and realizing how incredible it was to be around people who looked like me, who, mm. like, I, I didn't have to worry about what my hair looked like because, you know, <laughs> folks were wearing head wraps and afros and braids and, you know, yes. I didn't have to worry about um, different things. And it was so freeing. And it is still so freeing to be in a space that is all black women, is all survivors, and not have to explain yourself every single day. Um, yeah. So I think that is like a direct pushback to folks who say, oh, well, you know, black women can't work together. There is something magical about black women working together. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. yep. <laughs> or, I mean, really, I think that there is something, like you said, when you get in that space and you're just you, you know, no one, right. you know, you're just you and and all of our, I mean, which to me, which is the beauty of us and all of our various ways of expressing our beauty and mm-hmm. everyone who looks at you sees you as another beautiful black woman. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I think that the Truth Commissions really got me thinking um, years ago. You know, um, mm-hmm. I always worked with a group here in Detroit, which was called Detroit Summer. And one of the people who supported us was uh, some women who had done this film, Long Night's Journey and Today, which talked mm-hmm. about the truth and reconciliation hearings, uh, commissions in South Africa. And it was mm-hmm. really powerful. And afterwards, we had discussions about um, calling out what, what, what had gone wrong, but also the restorative power of forgiveness, not only of the other, but of yourself, you know, not, mm-hmm. not victimizing yourself. Mm-hmm. The truth and reconciliation commissions that, that you did through Black Women's Blueprint, what exactly was the focus of it? I mean, what past <laughs> wrongdoings? I mean, mm-hmm. what, what, what was the thing that, that bubbled to the top as you mm-hmm. sat with your sisters that you mm-hmm. really felt we need to do? Mm-hmm. So the well, four... Oh, mm-hmm. oh, go ahead, Erica. Go ahead, please. Okay. <laughs> um, I was going to say that um, the four mandates of the TRC, which really underpins all of the work that we do, um, the truth, justice, healing, and reconciliation. Um, And I think that you hit the nail on the head really with the idea of reconciling not necessarily with the person who did you harm, but with yourself and with your community and with your family and your school and your workplace. Um, I think that was really one of the focuses was remembering who you are and remembering um, what just kind of the fullness of your life that it's not only the trauma, the trauma will be there, but you're not just your trauma. Um, and I think that for us who were kind of doing the, um, the testifying part of the TRC, and I'm sure Shirley can um, speak more to the background and the conception, sure. um, for us really um, having that reconciliation with ourselves and being in community because when you do go through trauma, you're disconnected. You know, you're disconnected mm-hmm. from your body, you're disconnected from your community. Um, 
and you're disconnected from yourself. So I think that really remembering yourself was one of the biggest themes um, that came out of that for me, I would say. Sure. Thank you. And, and thank you, Erica, for sharing that. And also, I want to um, offer that the TRC was actually um, based on the commissions of South Africa and the civil rights movement here in America. And so mm-hmm. Farah Tanis, again, she, you know, she has a brain for that stuff. She's all about policy. Mm-hmm. She's all about you know, looking at um, different models because we, you know, she is transnational, and so she wanted to employ some of these models and these tools that she already had in her um, um, resources to actually add and implement, you know, the work that we wanted to do with Black Women's Blueprint. And so when we looked at, you know, the different women that we were friends with, that we communed with, that we, you know, break bread with, um, we recognized that no matter where they came from, sexual assault was something that was the mm. main uh, 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 enslavement, if you will, right? So from the from the continent of Africa, we know that, you know, Typically, when uh, a, a foreign imperialist um, invader comes into a country, the first thing they do is they burn the libraries and they rape the children, um, the women, right? And mm-hmm. so we know that this is how they, 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 they offer submission, they create submission into a, con- into a country. And so we knew that, you know, sexual assault, rape, um, is something that has been the, the main uh, uh, um, source of uh, trauma that, patriarchy, that imperialism, that capitalism that North America has induced on people, especially black people, right? Um, and so when we look at enslavement of, of, of you know, folks in here in North America, we look at Jim Crow, we look at all these different, and we look today, you know, with trafficking and, 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 and sexual assault on campus and child sexual assault. So we see statistically black women are all, you know, black families are, are at the um, height of these disparities. And so we wanted to ensure that the model um, that would really put uh, um, the state of America into, uh, onto the you know, auction block, if you will, uh, was mm-hmm. to adapt a model such as that one to ensure that we are letting this, you know, the world know that America has reparations to us. They have to reconcile with, with their crimes against black families in America, right? And so um, when we do collect narrative, when we do, you know, engage community, as Erica mentioned, you know, uh, one of the um, counselors at Black Women's Supreme engaged her initially and then invited her into the fold. And so when we, when we, when we do grassroots work in that manner, we make sure that we celebrate these women. We make sure that we honor them. We make sure that, you know, they feel they, they, they have the resources at their disposal to make sure that they're well. Um, some, some of our members, sometimes they lose family, blood family. And so how do you create chosen family? And it's through the sistership. Um, how do you, mm-hmm. you know, make sure that your basic needs are met? It's through the, the program that we offer with economic solidarity and also, you know, emergency funds because we are funded um, partly by the government to do this work. So the very government that is funding, partially funding our program, we are also pointing the finger at them saying that you owe us this. Mm. And you, you owe us more than that, right? But will we use these resources that you're giving us, these funds, to make sure that we support our women, our sisters in the community, our mothers, our grandmothers, our daughters? Yet we're still going to be uh, uh, announcing that you need to amend your laws here. You need to rectify and resolve these issues that are plaguing our communities. And so 
the TRC is, you know, a powerful tool for the organization, um, along with our arts program, um, you know, our Muse Museum of um, uh, Women's Resistance, that goes hand in mm -hmm. hand, because as black people, we know that nothing happens True story, true, you know, t telling the truth is storytelling. So we know uh -huh. that it, we tell stories, we sing songs, we write poems, we, we, we sing gospels, we write hymns, right? Justice is how you seek that justice. You know, what well, does Shirley, it look like for you? Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things that just reading about you that mm -hmm. resonated really strong because I come from, from that type of family is how you say that your formative years were shaped in transnational justice work by the matriarch of your family. And, sure. I mean, and often, I mean, like I said, black women across the diaspora, we have been doing it. We're, you know, we know that as a communities we're doing that. But often in the patriarchal society, even though we're doing this work, we are put into a second-class position, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you might be the head of the family, but, oh, they're only going to, where's your husband, ma'am, let me talk to you. How do you feel, how did you bring that? How did you amplify it? Because I've worked with women who have accepted, even though, and you say, no, no, sister, you know, you are strong, you're leading the family, you're raising it, you're doing all this, but they mm -hmm. don't see that. How did your background help you be that voice? within the organization? Um, well, I, I will say that, you know, it, it was not easy to find my own mm -hmm. voice, you know. Um, when I say that my, my life, you know, was shaped by my matriarchals because I was born here in, in New York City. I'm a Brooklyn girl, but then my parents who were young, migrated from Haiti. They sent me back home to my grandmother and my aunt to go to school. And so during my school year, my aunt, who was a single mother, had a, you know, storefront. She was raising her, her brother's kids in Haiti. She, you know, had her little business, and she would, dra she used to walk with me, drag me into protests. At the time when I was growing up in the 80s, we had Duvalier, the um, du um, uh, Papa Do uh, Baby Doc, rather. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so there was a lot of dictatorship and a lot of, you know, censorship in the country. And so my aunt, you know, used to gather with women. And all I remember as a little girl was that these women would be just like en masse, all dressed in white, scarf, in, you know, scar white scarves, and they're standing either at, in front of the White House or in front of a, of a fort or a prison where they've incarcerated students, you know, journalists who would speak against the president. And I just remember that activism on her part. Um, and so um, she still guides me. She's still alive. So, you know, every uh -huh. time I feel weak, I would call her, you know, in her, you know, 70-plus years, and I'm like, Mommy, how did you do it? What did, how did you do it? And she would offer me grace, and she would offer me that when we marched, we marched, we had to have another voice because there were other protests happening. There were protests that were destructive. You know, you burn down stuff. And then their protest was, was peaceful in a way that she brought, they brought their faith into the, the, the protest. So they sang songs that, were, that would speak directly to this person's humanity, right? Mm. And so that is how my aunt, you know, engaged me. And then this is how my grandmother also engaged me. And so for me, you know, becoming a teenager, of course, you know, I was ousted out of the country because I'm an American citizen and there was a coup. So I come to the United States and I lost my voice because now I'm placed in a situation where I have to live in, I have to be a black girl in America, right? So some of my privileges were gone. And my 
self-esteem was gone along with it. But then eventually, as I built myself with sistership and became friends and started, you know, going to school and doing that work, I found my voice again. And so um, not only is it just a political aspect, but I have a very strong um, spiritual connection to everything that I do. And so... Um, though I grew up Christian, I adopt a Buddhist principle, and I've been, mm-hmm. you know, um, negotiating and working with the with um, members of my family, close members of my family, and other close trusted family members to tell me about more about the Voodoo traditions because I understand it now that it's, you know, it is more than meets the eye, and it is a, a it is a sacred and blessed experience to actually have the tools to use this kind of element indigenously. And so these are the things that I use, but it's a constant reminder, and it's a constant reminder for myself, and it's a constant reminder for me to check in with my sisters and tell them to support me when I need support. So even within the organization, we always check in on each other, right? We text each other. If one of us are, you know, just had a baby, we'll make sure that we, we celebrate that, that, that birth. If someone is going for surgery, we make sure that, you know, they get ample time to rest. We make sure that, you know, we are healing each other within the space so that we can go out there and do this work and support and remind women that you have power, you know, that even if you feel silenced in your home, that you still have a voice, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, yes. Mm-hmm. So, Erica, okay, so, mm-hmm. uh, and okay, so that's, that's one part of her. Now what I like about you, <laughs> which was going to me, is that you identified as a queer woman of color. Mm-hmm. And, you know, often... I identify as a queer woman of color, a black queer woman, and mm-hmm. but often in black spaces, it's sort of like, well, you know, they want me to turn in, turn in my black cards or mm-hmm. turn in my mm-hmm. queer cards. How, mm-hmm. I mean, and what I hear you saying is that you came into this place and you were embraced. These were your sisters. You were embraced. Mm-hmm. And, but how do you stand in that space? You know, mm-hmm. how do you stand in that space, in your truth, as all mm-hmm. these things that you are? Yes, queer women can be victims of rape. Yes, we mm-hmm. are fierce mm-hmm. human rights advocates. Yeah. How, do you, yeah. how do you stand in that space? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I've kind of spent my entire life trying to balance and kind of being that person who is at different intersections and... Um, standing in spaces that make people uncomfortable. Um, I think mm-hmm. that, um, you know, I went to a school that was predominantly white. I was one of three black girls um, in my grade for quite some time. Um, and being in that space and being, trying to be unapologetic in that space was very hard. Um, and I think, like, surely I, I lost my voice. Um, you know, growing up, it was hard to have a voice because I wanted to fit in and, you know, be that, you know, when growing up, you, you don't want to stick out. Um, and I mm-hmm. think that um, I did lose my voice in that, and that was compounded by trauma, compounded by physical disability, compounded by um, a lot of different things. And I think that doing this activism work for me has always been about understanding who doesn't have a voice and who doesn't necessarily have their power recognized um, because I don't think it's about who doesn't have power. I think everyone has power. It's just whose power is being recognized. Um, and that, that's how I really got into this work is looking at, um, looking at that and then trying to use my voice and find my voice within um, 
within the work and coming to BWB and stepping into um, having a space to step into who I am, you know, as a queer woman, as a survivor, as someone with um, visible and invisible disability, you know, like in all of my um, different intersections, because I can be that at BWB, I can now mm-hmm. also be that in other spaces. Um, because I know that I can always go back to, you know, text, I can texturally, I can text Sarah, I can, you know, call my colleagues and be like, hey, this thing happened when I was out doing something else, and I will still be held and still be received and still be um, validated in that space. So I think that being able, whether it's BWB, whether it's, you know, your family, whether it's your chosen family, that one girlfriend that you always call, everyone needs to have that space where they're able to be themselves 100% so that you can go into other spaces and disrupt other spaces as yourself and Mm -hmm. be okay with that. Mm -hmm. You know, um, we're going to take a break shortly, but before we do, I want to, the mother tongue um, monologue, you know, I had recently talked to uh, Eric Darnell Pritchard, and he's a professor at... um, University of Illinois at Urbana, and he talks about literacy and us defining our stories. And one of the things that he and I talked about, and I think which is so true with women, is like we have, it might not always be like the written word or oral, being able to read and write. We have ways of communicating with each other. We are very literate. I heard (laughs) Shirley talk about song and dance. I mean, these are all ways that we communicate with us. It makes us, we have our own literacy. The mother yes. tongue, tongue monologue. Tell me about that. Um, I'm smiling from ear to ear as I hear you speak of mother tongue because I think that's like one of our favorite pieces of the work. Um, and one of the things that I learned um, through mother tongue monologue was how um, black women um, during 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 Jim Crow era, messages were being sent to um, folk in the, with the Underground Railroad, and they did it through quilts, right? So how mm-hmm. women would lay their quilts on, you know, after they wash it or whatever, they would hang them to dry. The patchwork itself was a message for folks who were trying to find liberation, right? And so mm-hmm. these are the ways that we look at Mother Tongue Monologue. This is the way that we say to you that there is not one way to be literate. There is not one way to. There is not just one way to tell your story. We say it through songs. We say it through, you know, cry. We say it through wails. Mm-hmm. We say it through, you know, um, poetry. We say it through acted, you know, acting, um, and and all sorts of medium in the art world, painting, right? In fact, we're about to launch um, our uh, Maori event. We're not doing Mother Tongue this year because we're launching 2019 with Agility with a huge production. So this year, though, we decided to be in-house and offer some, you know, exhibits happening right now in our in our offices. And so, um, you know, that will be an introduction to the conception of the organization and, and, and the production. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Mother Tongue Monologue is, a, is an opportunity for women to really just be their, like, you know, to wear their Sunday best, right? Mm-hmm. This is a celebration. We honor, we always honor, you know, movement makers, leaders, mm-hmm. women who, feminists who have come before us, um, who are around us, who are linked arm with us. We always honor these sisters because we know the work is not easy. We know that whether they pinned something, um, or they, 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 they work with incarcerated women, uh, or whether they 
you know, were on the media, social, you know, on, on CN, like Mary, Mary, Melissa Harris-Berry, right? We honor mm-hmm. her at one, one season. So we want to elevate these women because we want them to know that we Black Women's Blueprint, we are not, we not only just do grassroots, we not only do transnational work, but we also honor each other because that's something mm-hmm. that we're lacking. And this is the biggest pushback that we can have for any, against any rhetoric, right, that every February, we are going to have a beautiful um, festival, and it's going to be at the Schomburg, or it'll be at National Theater of Harlem, or it'll be at the Brooklyn Museum, and we're going to be decked out. We're going to honor each other. We're going to have rich foods. We're going to dance. We're going to laugh. We're going to just honor each other in the work that we're doing, Um, and that produces even more oxytocin, right? And oxytocin is a hormone that women um, um, exude um, naturally. Right, and that's the that's the love drug, if you will. That's a hormonal <laughs> love drug. So we do that so that we can keep our power because we're, you know, claiming reclaiming our power can't just be something that is external. It has to be internal, and that starts with our biology. It starts with our physiology, um, so that our mental well-being can be intact, so that our body, mind, spirit can be integrated in order to keep doing this work and honor each other. And so mm-hmm. the productions is something that is just absolutely magical. Um, it's a lot of work because we, us- we do this ourselves. We don't really contract out people. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. if we, the, everybody, the members come in and they engage from all the states, from out of state, from out of the country even. Um, and so it's just really a remarkable uh, um, event that we do in the organization that, you know, serves a couple of purposes. Number one, to celebrate the women, and number two, to let folk know, everybody know, because men come in, fathers, sons, you know, folks come in, and we let them know that, you know, this work here is real and that we are mm-hmm. very intentional in debunking and breaking down patriarchy in our space, mm-hmm. you know? So, yes, and we do that with flair. Mm-hmm. Well, good. As we as we should, you know. Okay, we're going to take our first break here on Collections by Michelle Brown. We are talking about the Black Women's Blueprint, and we will be right back. This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com. back and um you know i mean that part about about that i mean when i was talking to dr pritchard we were talking about literacy and what you were talking about with the quilts and it was like back historically under a eurocentric patriarchal system when you Mm -hmm. define literacy solely as the ability to read and write their language i mean it was a tool (laughs) of oppression and right. we were always literate. We had to develop our own literacy, like you said, with the quilts and everything, 
to survive. And, yes. you know, mm-hmm. but sometimes, you know, that cloud sort of hangs over over our heads to this day. Mm-hmm. So you have a strategy. You talk about a framework for liberation. Mm-hmm. When you talk about, and I would say even you, especially Erica, as you're talking about programs, when you're thinking about these programs and you're looking at, I mean, a lot of the things are still going on. There's human right. trafficking. There yeah. are, you know, young women who don't walk into a room and feel or don't know that there's a room they can walk into and feel mm-hmm. good about themselves. What programming are you mm-hmm. thinking about? And also to build upon, I would say, the ever-evolving literacy of mm-hmm. different generations. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the quotes, I mean, Sarah has so many favorite quotes, but one of her favorite quotes is, um, radical simply means grasping at the root, and Angela Davis said that. And um, when I think about policy work, since I'm the policy director, um, I always have that in the forefront of my mind um, because I really do think that for me looking at um, programmatically looking at policies looking at what the root causes are and trying to get as close to those as possible and dismantle that (laughs) I think is um, really my goal and looking at policy work as trauma work and as healing work Um, just as an example there was a study that um, showed there are over 150 consequences and symptoms of sexual assault um, that someone experience that someone can experience. So when you look at, you know, the healthcare bill, for example, and you look at um, when folks are trying to take away um, the pre- uh, protections for pre-existing conditions, and you think about the trauma that Black women, not just um, the trauma individually that we're carrying, but collectively and intergenerationally, um, and you think about the health consequences of that when you're legislating and you're thinking about policy, how is that getting written into policy? How are we looking at the fact that my grandmother's great-grandmother's great-great-grandmother trauma is still affecting me today um, mm. in all these different ways? So I think that from a policy perspective, when we think about um, a blueprint for liberation, um, I don't think policy is the only way that we're going to get to liberation. I think we need to radically um, shift how we are engaging um, and really just we need to disengage from, you know, capitalism. We need to Mm -hmm. radically shift and dismantle patriarchy. We need to radically shift and dismantle white supremacy, um, which really means that we need to radically shift our democracy um, and thinking about how we can build power among black women build, and not just the black women who can, you know, read and write, but it's that black woman who dropped out of school. You know, it's that black woman who maybe is getting her GED. It's that black woman who's on the street. You know, it's building power of those folks who are at the margins of the margins um, and making sure that their experiences, their stories, their solutions, because I think that, we have the solutions. We know what we need. Um, making sure that those stories and those voices get told in, you know, these congressional briefings in at city council. And um, so when I think about building literacy, it's, you know, 
understanding how the government works. It's understanding how you can get involved in your community board or the parent association. Um, it's building these different um, competencies and um, building power in that way. So that's how I look at, at policy um, as a blueprint for the region. And Shirley, how do you see, what do you see as, as that? You know, I, I, I'm, I'm loving how Erica offered a quote and to, you know, really map out how, how she sees policy doing this work. And I'd like to offer one too. It's one of my favorite quotes, and it's from Audre Lorde. And she says that we recognize that all knowledge, all knowledge is mediated through the body, and that feeling is a profound source of information about our lives. And so when we talk about, you know, literacy about our wellness, literacy about our mental well-being and the traumas that we have encountered intergenerationally, women, you know, young women and women need to understand that this, the trauma that they have experienced, whether directly or indirectly, has already shaped their DNA, has already mm -hmm. shaped, you know, intergenerational trauma means that your DNA has been wired, your brain has been wired to feel hyper alert, to feel hyper aware. Um, it's not just the actions and the abuses, but it's also just naturally our bodies are wired that way. And so educating folk with their body, knowing, oh, excuse me, um, sent a voicemail, my apologies. Um, and uh -huh. so when we look at when we look at the healing and counseling program, we have a you know we have we have four phases as to how these women come into the program. You know they will enter in a crisis stage. This is where the the, the trauma is fresh in their mind. They are hyper. They are you know or maybe experiencing you know symptoms of PTSD. Um, and so we and then of course maybe their basic needs are not met. So we make sure that we 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 support them in diffusing some of those um, fires or you know um, uh, um, heat. You know, and I use heat on, in, in the Eastern perspective, right, the, 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 the neurological experiences of the body. And so once we are able to offer this individual breath work and counseling and grounding, then they're able to, you know, find their, them, themselves in how they're going to move forward with, the, with, with their lives and with the organization. Because, again, we're a member-based organization, so we want to make sure that there's an exchange, that you are in the fold. You are going to come here and you're going to sit with us. You're going to learn about the science of the body. You're going to learn about the politics of our bodies, right, through curriculum. You're going to engage in sister circles and healing circles. Um, and we're going to document this experience for you. And so from crisis, we go into personal development. What assets do you have? So you're not working mm -hmm. right now, but would you like to create? Do you have skills? Well, then let's exchange those skills. You can volunteer. You can offer your services to another member, and then there's an exchange there. So the person feels worthwhile. Right, um, and then there is um, activism and um, uh, excuse me, um, direct action. Right, so these uh, these include uh, workshops. They include um, direct actions such as our marches and our campaigns. And then there's also political engagement that Erica um, mentioned with the policy work, engaging in PT, PTA meetings and you know local council membership and so on and so forth. So we look at literacy, the science of the body, the, the science of the mind in a way that engages women, those who are marginalized with a GED and those who are not and you know are PhDs to know that you know when it comes to our experience as black women um, in this community um, we, that we need to understand ourselves first and foremost because there's story there, right? The trauma mm -hmm. is not the only truth, 
in that experience. You know, um, what, what has, what, you know, the phoenix rising, what can you take from this and actually empower others? Right, and it takes up. You know, it's a process. It's a working. It's a work in progress. And so we at Black Women's Repent as staff, we engage these members. You know, weekly, um, seasonally, to make sure that you know they are they are keeping engaged in their own world and their own lives. Now I know that it says that um, the focus is on Black women and its departure from the rubric of women of color. And you know, and I know that sometimes when often the people who want to call you the person of color are not people of color. And it's sort of like, you know, it's like, oh, okay, so you want to introduce me as a woman of color, but I'm a black woman. And are you ignoring the fact that I am black or asking me to not Mm -hmm. claim my blackness by putting me under this umbrella of woman Mm -hmm. of color? So when you decide to do a march for black women, and I have talked to other people, and they say, well, well, if we want to do it for for black people, then we get hit with like, well, what about them? What about them? What about them? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that our umbrella can be as specific about being about black women, but not mm-hmm. doesn't mean that we don't care about other people. Mm-hmm. But yes. how do you, you know, when you're trying, especially you're trying to rally women to have a march for black women? Mm-hmm. What, what was the well, conversation around that? Well, first of all, the name itself is very intentional, right? We didn't say mm-hmm. that you know, the march was only black women. We said it's a march for black women, meaning that I don't care if you're a white man, I don't care if you're a white woman, I don't care if you're a woman of color, however you identify racially, know that if you understand the plight of black women historically in this country, come march with us, for us. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's a march mm-hmm. for black women. We had Jewish families, you know, support. We had white women come in and support. However, the conversation internally was that, you know, no, Black Women's Print is doing a march for black women because we were invited, um, I believe, by March for, you know, um, the, the Women's Rachel. March to, mm-hmm. uh, to March for Racial Justice, rather. And Farah said, well, you know, there cannot be a March for Racial Justice without gender justice. Right, and so we needed to make sure that you know we were at the epicenter of this march to let folks know that nationally we are marching for Black women, um, and these were the components of this march. Right, that we are survivors, that we are uh, um, also thriving in our communities, that we are also marginalized, that we come in, you know, we are LGBTQAI, we are all of that, and we are in colleges, we are in, you know, corporate boardrooms, we are everywhere. However, statistically, black women, economically, we're, you know, we're at a disparaging, you know, um, um, rate. Uh, we, we, you know, health-wise, you know, most, I mean, I'm tired of reading the data reports on health, mm-hmm. right? Um, the statistics, everything, black women, black women, black women are at, you know, risk for heart disease, for high blood pressure, for fibroids, for cancers. So we had to make sure that we put that cry out for us. Mm-hmm. And if mm-hmm. you are an ally or if you are whatever you claim to be for black women, then be here to support Mm-hmm. Right. Well, you know, it was funny when I was coming, one of the last times that I was coming to New York, in fact, this was before, this was right after Alabama, okay, right after Bell, and I had to go like this huge flight, I ended up going to Chicago, and I had this lovely woman who came and wanted to thank me, thank you, black woman, because mm. 
we had come out and saved Alabama. And, you know, and someone said, Mm. well, how did you feel about that? And I said, well, you know, prior to Alabama, she probably would have clutched her purse when I sat down beside her. But Mm. also I knew that all of these, these, this, this list that you named, that she didn't really care about, you know, my health, all these other issues that are affecting Mm-hmm. black women mm-hmm. so right. you know after you had did you find how do you find the real ally not the one who's just going to be like hey i'm down with you thank you black woman oh, you know, mm-hmm. thank you black woman you know right how do you um, find the real you know, ally? yeah it's actually it's interesting um because we've had this internal discussion and i think it's actually kind of a discussion that's going throughout the movement um, about the word ally and really mm-hmm. shifting the word ally to what does it mean to be a comrade? Um, because when you look at how, you know, the white woman being like, oh, thank you for voting for the right way or thank you for not voting for, like, anything like that, it's really, they, they think that being an ally is an identity that you can just kind of put on when you want to. Um, mm-hmm. And when you really look at comrading, really look at what does it mean to be on the front line? What does it mean to put your body on the mm-hmm. front line? What does it mean for Heather yes. Heyer to have died in Charlottesville um, for black people? And so I think when we look at like, who is our ally, who is our comrade, it's, you know, who is that person who's going to be with us and marching with us for black women? Who's going to be that person who's going to be like, yeah, you know what? you want me to do this, I'm down for doing this. Um, And for not co-opting or appropriating um, the work that black women have done, but uplifting and amplifying um, the work and not having to be at the center of it. Um, So I think when we're talking about, like, who is the comrade, who's an ally, how can we figure that out, um, I really do think it's, like, who's going to show up? Mm-hmm. 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 Well, and even with that, the, oh, go ahead. I was go ahead. I was just going to add that with you know within the context of the March for Black Women, one of the and you know wonderful ways that we saw allyship was you know with the um, now organization uh, mm-hmm. na- national. Excuse me. Na- I'm sorry, I forget. It's now national the organization for women of for women, mm-hmm. which is a white yeah. organization, and they were very accessible to us in providing. Um, support in terms of how to um, engage white women in this mm-hmm. march, and one of the ways that they did it, you know, was to. I mean, of course, we play. We 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 ha- we've made those demands, right? Um, is to teach, you know, these women um, about uh, not taking the, the 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 front lines, right? And and allowing, if you're going to be present in the march physically, then this is how you, ne- you negotiate that space, allowing black women's voices to be heard and present. You know, from the marshalling that we had um, to, you know, the healer's caravan, any person who was of white uh, uh, um, experience, uh, they, were, they were trained through the NOW curriculum to make sure that they understood the, the, the intricacies of racial dynamics within this march. So this is, you know, I would say organizationally, that was a wonderful way of showing allyship. Or comradeness, mm-hmm. or comradeness, if you will. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, are you finding what's part of the blueprint to ultimately not just say, hey, we've got a seat at the table, but that we are, not only do we have a seat at the table, but the menu 
is we are contributing to the menu. The menu is about our issues because a lot mm-hmm. of times you find that people mm-hmm. are happy to just give you a seat at the table, but you sit there and you're just like, well, for lack of a better word, a token. But was that mm-hmm. ultimately part of the blueprint when you were coming back, going way far back to 2008, when here you had two candidates where people are saying, mm-hmm. well, choose one. One's a woman, one's black, you know, but neither one of them were speaking of it. What well, was the blueprint to ultimately be more than just a seat at the table, but be well, part of the see, planning process? Okay, so I, I like that, the seat at the table. I, I've been hearing that statement around a lot, you know, get a seat at the table. We at Black Women's Blueprint would radically say to you that we create our own table. How about that? All right. Mm-hmm. We don't need to sit at your table because we don't know what you're going to serve us. And mm-hmm. I'm coming from the Caribbean, a Caribbean life, and so my family's always told me, you don't eat in everybody's kitchen. Okay, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so for us politically, when we're looking at you know take, you know being at the being at the table, whose table are we sitting at, and what are they mm-hmm. going to serve at this table? So we rather build our own table. Mm-hmm. We either create our table, create our own blueprint to make sure that you know th- this country understands that black women are here to stay, mm-hmm. and we are here to no longer be abused and terrorized in our own homes, and that we want to raise our children in a healthy manner. Right, and so um, creating, you know, a seat at the table is one thing. Sure, we, have, you know, people are inviting us all the time to sit at their table, and we do because we're gracious mm-hmm. like that. However, when it comes to the work that we're doing that drive us, we have our own table. Mm-hmm. That's the blueprint. We have our mm-hmm. own table, right? And we have our own resources. We are we are an organization that is, you know, um, uh, we don't look at our members. You know, um, one of our staff member, uh, Savannah, says, you know, not your token black woman. We, don't, we do not mm-hmm. tokenize women in our community. We do not look at, you know, someone like, and I know you mentioned the Me Too campaign, and I don't want to go too deep into it, but, you know, the whole experience with Tarana Burke, I think, you know, that, that's, oh, that's, that's, you know, like, that, that's very unfortunate when I'm ana- analyzing it, right, in the way mm-hmm. that her voice is being censored right now. And so mm-hmm. we don't do that in the organization. We see your asset, and we strategically strategically make sure that if you're going to be the face of something, that you are well, you are bolstered, you are protected, mm-hmm. um, that you mm-hmm. are prepared to actually take that light, right? Because ultimately what the media is doing is giving you 15, 15 minutes of fame. So how are you going to use and capitalize that 15 minutes of fame without, you know, killing yourself in the process, not dying off the process, right? So we want to make sure that when as an organization, we engage everyone in all of these nuances um, in understanding the politics of, you know, fighting for our mm-hmm. rights here. Mm-hmm. You know, I know that one of the, you know, you talk about preventing sexual violence and healing from trauma. And when you look at here at, at human trafficking, and often they are, you know, the most vulnerable, often they are our black girls. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and then you see that then they are victimized again. Mm-hmm. And how, how do we address that? I mean, you know, I know that there were certain things that my mother told me that she didn't do, you know. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, she, I remember her telling my brother just as well, you know, you walk away, you don't do that. And there were things that they didn't engage in about sexual violence. But now it seems like there's such a, you know, there's a lot of violence going on out there, particularly mm-hmm. against black women. How do mm-hmm. we, how do we do that? I mean, you know, how do we do that? How do we make a safe space for our young sisters so that they know that there's, 
here's some place where you can go. Another black woman will not turn her back. She will hear, see the signals, see the signs, and, and take mm-hmm. care of you. How do we, you know, you've got a goal of, of preventing sexual violence. What do you see mm-hmm. as that? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I can offer that um, our Emerging Girls Residency Program is one such way. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the ways that we've engaged young girls in, you know, understanding their experiences as teenagers and um, learning about consent and learning about, you know, uh, just just everything that's going on around them, all the violence that's going around them, uh, you know, the crimes that are being um, committed. Uh, the Emerging Girls Program within our organization is one such that is very um, fortifying and, and welcoming to our girls. Um, and so we engage them in dialogue, uh, we engage them in art, we engage them in professional development, we support them with individual counseling. We don't call it counseling because we don't want to turn them off, but, you know, we tell mm-hmm. them to just come in, come in, or we text them. We have a group text, right? And so we use, we use technology, we meet them where they're at. We meet everyone mm-hmm. where they're at. So if you're on Pinterest and on Instagram, somebody in the office is going to be tech savvy enough to really engage <laughs> and train us to really, you know, okay, now we're going to do group text and we're going to be on Pinterest and Instagram and group me and whatever so that we stay engaged with these young women, um, you know, in their day-to-day. And so on a weekly basis, even though the doors are open for the girls, but, you know, these girls that were were, were um, um, receiving and supporting and serving, they're in high school and some of them are seniors, so there's a lot of collegiate preparations to do, familial things to do, chores, academic life. And so they're not particularly able to come to the space physically, so, so that does not deter us, though, from keeping the conversation going. We email, we text, we, we you know, when we have, you know, just recently we had a um, mute R. Kelly, shut down R. Kelly um, mm-hmm. um, rally, and mm-hmm. our emerging girls, like, they were like, yes, we want to come. We'll meet you there. Give us the address. And so this is the way that we do this work, right? We, we literally mm-hmm. are like sisters in the, in the organization. Like, we call each other sisters, like, like you were my blood sister, right? Um, and mm-hmm. so we, we engage in a way that is very familial. And so that offers safety and trust, and, so, um, and, we, tr- and we don't breach that. You know, we do not breach that. Um, and, and all the girls know all the staff. We're only really a small staff of, what, five to six individuals. So they know all the women that are in there. Um, and so that is one way that we support these girls. I know that one time, um, uh, well, not one time, but um, Kanisha Jenkins was that young sister's name who had been found in a freezer at that hotel. Um, mm-hmm. and I remember. And I remember the girls showing up on that Saturday, I mean, really, like, pupils dilated, frazzled, kind of concerned and worried. And their question was, so how do you trust your friends? Mm-hmm. If she was with her friends, how do you trust that you're not going to die? And so we had to have a conversation about mm-hmm. that. We had to, you know, improvise and say, you know what, this is how you build sistership. This is the covenant that you make with your sisters, you know, if you're going to be, you know, if you're engaging in high school and in, in college. Right, because we know that you know, Black Women's Blueprint. We started doing this work with college on college campuses. We did work with Title IX, so we know that there's a prevalence of of, of sexual assault on campuses. So we want to prepare prepare the high schoolers into understanding themselves, understanding how to you know be um, aware, not hyper aware, but but aware of their surroundings and making sure that they have a buddy system. You know, mm-hmm. and so these are the ways that we engage our girls within our organization. 
And I'd also I offer... Oh. Go ahead. I was going to say, too, um, is that we had an emerging, or we have an emerging sons program um, mm-hmm. as well, and really looking at how we can increase accountability, um, not just, you know, from up-and-coming boys into men, but also from our black leaders and from um, our black organizations who historically have a racist trauma and the sexual violence that black women um, experience, that black children experience. And I think that in the, with the, like, I was thinking about Samita Kelly um, and how many black women were on that line going into this concert. Mm-hmm. Um, and thinking about how and like trusting your friends and really figuring out how we increase that accountability, um, not just with between like men and women, but, but like you know with everyone to see black women and black girls as humans, right? To see us as mm-hmm. deserving of respect, deserving of love, deserving of um, protection, and to really increase that accountability. And I just also wanted to offer with our bystander intervention, we really look at it. Um, as not necessarily just being a bystander, which kind of seems passive and you're kind of like standing on the sidelines, um, but to really being an interventionist and really figuring out how you can intervene in different situations um, while keeping yourself safe and looking at real world situations that folks um, go through on college campuses and using art um, primarily as a way to engage um, not just young men, but primarily young men, on college campuses to recognize, you know, the comments that their friends are making and how do you intervene with that so that it doesn't escalate into an assault, you know, and really making the connection um, between, um, like, the continuum of violence. So I think that's one of the ways, um, another way that we're also trying to interrupt violence and prevent violence. Mm -hmm. Now, you both have, uh, you know, transnational, international. You talk about membership coming from young, young women who are from, all walks of life, different countries, different backgrounds. Do you ever see, like, the link? Because I was talking to someone once who did some work with the UN who said that the plight of girls in urban areas, I mean, they're not safe going to and from school. You might think of war-torn areas where girls Mm -hmm. aren't safe, but girls aren't safe here. Is there any Mm -hmm. connection to where you can say, you know, this is not just happening globally. Look right here. Look right here mm-hmm. and see what's happening mm-hmm. and how do we lift up our girls and protect them. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we, we, you know, we raise that awareness at every turn, and we mm-hmm. do it not only in-house, but we also partner with other organizations who are doing this work. Um, you know, GEMS was one of the organizations that was specifically for yeah. trafficking. Um, way mm-hmm. back, um, and I remember, and we worked, you know, very closely with them um, in partnership. And so, you know, one of the, you know, again, Black Women's Blueprint, we can't, you know, I, if only we were truly, truly super women, right, Amazonians, <laughs> that we could conquer patriarchy and conquer capitalism. But we can't, you know, we we're not going to, mm-hmm. we're not going to. Uh, 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 diminish the work that we do by saying that we've conquered it all, right? Because it is uh, a work in progress. It, is, it takes a toll on our, on our own persons. And so partnership is, is the way to go. Um, and so mm-hmm. when we partner with other organizations that are specific with their, their mission, that they're looking at uh, uh, trafficking, traffic girls, they're looking at, you know, um, uh, sexually uh, displaced girls, like, you know, just basically being um, trafficked, pimped around within the community. We, mm-hmm. we 
mm-hmm. we support in, you know, whether it's um, funding, we support whether it's, you know, coming and teaching a coursework, we support in, you know, in anything, in any way that they feel that they could use our resources, we offer them that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, our doors are always open to welcome other, you know, these young women, you know, through our engagement and other programming that we have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, as you look around and, you know, and you see that your work, you have a small staff, and I like the fact that you recognize that, you know, you you are Amazons, but you're not, you, you can't, you can't do everything, I right. mean, and that, you, that you're forming partnerships. What do you see, you know, if you say, all right, on the blueprint, these are who we're going to partner with, and these are things that, how do you make that determination on what you're going to take on and what you're going to say, well, let's look at a partner, besides the obvious ones that you have a small staff and resources? Yeah, I think something. something. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Oh, you, um, you want to take that one, Erica? Sure, I can take this one. Um, I think that when we look at what we're going to take on and looking at um, partnerships, and we really try and um, balance what our strengths are. Um, you know, we our strengths are doing the healing work, are doing the narrative collection, are doing the trainings, um, and I think that and especially with, like, the art um, and having our theatrical kind of drama performances and um, doing direct action. So when we think about our strengths and then thinking about how we can leverage that with other organizations and other activists and other leaders um, that are doing similar work and make sure that we can balance out and uplift the work that they're doing as well. Um, I also think that making sure that it's sustainable um, it's really mm-hmm. talked about our members and, you know, when we see a member who comes in, it's like, hey, you know, I really like to paint. We've had members, you know, paint backdrops for the TRC and paint, um, you know, sets and build um, pieces that are in our museum. Um, so really tapping into the leadership and the expertise of our members. Um, or, you know, working with members say, oh, hey, I heard you went to this school. Do you have, like, a connection with this person? And I'm really, like, leveraging all the networks that all of us bring to this work. Um, so you're right. We recognize that we can't do this all. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and, like, working with the GEMS and working with the other organizations who might be solely focused on human trafficking um, or solely mm-hmm. focused on immigration um, because it all is intersected with black women survivors um, and making sure that really our role is ma- making those connections with other people and centering black women and black survivors. Mm-hmm. Now, I will tell you, I do actually have a question for you. From someone, as I was talking, you know, I was talking about the different people I was going to um, be interviewing in the future, and I mentioned, you know, that I was going to touch you. And the question was that they'd be interested to talk about the Me Too movement with you because Black Women's mm-hmm. Blueprint really emphasizes care and healing for survivors. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and, and I hear you saying that again again, how you don't just like, like, okay, fine, how are you? How you go back and you check in and check in and check in. How, I mean, personally, I don't think that there's a, a cutoff date on how long you have to look into survivors, but when you bring someone in and you're and you're working with them in that healing work, 
how long do you stay with them? Is this a, like a, once they become, are they suddenly become part of the tribe where you are forever looking, you know, taking care of one another, and then hopefully they're yep. paying it forward? That's exactly right, yep. um, Michelle. That's exactly <laughs> mm-hmm. right. Healing is not linear, right? When we look at the mm-hmm. neurobiology of trauma, of sexual trauma, right, mm-hmm. um, it is something that is cyclical because women survive, survivors have anniversaries, unfortunately, that mm-hmm. even whether they were consciously thinking about it, their bodies remember, and some mm-hmm. symptoms will show up, um, you know, and so... Uh, today, as we speak, we have members who are leaders in their own lives. They are, you know, they came from, from, from crisis, they went through the leadership, they went through personal development, they are now activists, they are now thriving, they have bookstores, they have, you know, uh, uh, other tribes that they've created, and yet, because of this election that happened a year ago, mm-hmm. trauma is circling back like a tsunami. And so mm-hmm. women are coming out, and they can't even name what's happening to them. They just know that they feel anxious, exhausted, bone-tired, um, the, the high blood pressure, diagnoses are coming up at the woodwork. And so they self-direct. And as a member of the organization, you're a lifetime member. There is no, you know, so long as there is a, a, a staff and a board of this organization, there's always going to be a space for these women to come and actually have one-on-one conversations, talk therapy, counseling, clinical, and, you know, alternative, Um, you know, other sisters. In fact, we have one member, if I could just speak to one experience, one sister who uh, is a cancer survivor. She is at stage four, and she's young. She's 40 years old. And so she called us back, and I, we're inspired by her because she came to mm-hmm. us, you know, very much, you know, self-directed, and she's explaining to us how she's had to call on community, who, people to, you know, she calls on sisters to pick up her meds from the, from the pharmacy. She calls on sisters within the organization because we're all connected. Oh, you know mm-hmm. what? I need groceries. So she calls on this sister because we all have each other's numbers especially because we we do these member meetings and so they exchange numbers so she can call on her assets, her resources to say, you know what, I have no food in the house. And sister says, you know what, I got you. Goes to Costco, buys Mm -hmm. groceries, cooks her a full meal and brings it to her home. The executive director, Farrah was reached out by the same sister because we're friends, we're sisters, says, you know what, I don't have anyone to pick up my medication. Can you pick it up for me? So Farrah decides to go and pick up the, the, the prescription and brings it and sits with the sister and then mm. plugs me in as program director. And so now I have been offering this sister, you know, holistic therapies. Like I've prepared some herbal baths for her, you know, some soft grounded touch therapies and aromatherapy for this sister because I'm trained as a massage therapist, you know, for, you know specializing in African and, and Caribbean um, healing medicine to really support her in her well-being. And so this is how it looks. And this sister has been a member since 2010, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've seen her thrive. We've seen her gone to the Sundance Film Festival. You know, she's done all of these things, and now here she is, cancer-ridden, and still utilizing the resources of this organization, right? And mm-hmm. so these are the ways that we, we the membership is, um, is offered in community, that it is a lifetime membership. Mm-hmm. Okay, now we're going to take our second break, and I want to talk more about the membership and how we can, we can make this wave keep going. So we will be right back. 
You're listening to Collections by Michelle Brown, and we are talking about the Black Woman's Blueprint. We'll be right back. Collections by Michelle Brown airs every Thursday at 7 p.m. You can subscribe now and listen to the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Be sure to like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and mark your calendar so you never miss an episode. here on Collections with Michelle Brown, and I've been talking with Shirley Exime and Erica Ayodele Dixon about Black Women's Blueprint. You know, um, I know, uh, Shirley, you're in North Carolina. Uh, You know, I travel about, and often, you know, I always try to talk to our community, Black women. And um, I was sitting at a thing, and um, actually here in Michigan, and I was listening to these sisters sort of talk and trying to figure it out. And I, I sort of mentioned to them, I said, you know, you're not alone. You're part of this, this larger community of black women. And mm-hmm. they were like, oh, wow, I never thought about that. That, you know, that other than, mm-hmm. you know, looking at my black skin and knowing that something about me might be from Africa, they didn't see themselves as part of a community. And... You're calling them members, but it is like you're developing a community, a, a tribe, to where people yes. really feel connected and caring about each other. Now, I yes. know that um, that you offer training. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, how does that work? I mean, do, do people come to see you? I mean, do you have like where, you know, I say if someone from Kalamazoo, Michigan said, you know, I'm reading about the blueprint. We need to do this here. You know, mm-hmm. they wanted to, do you have an internship? So if they came there, they could spend some time with you. Um, mm-hmm. you through the membership. How do you help other people get the idea about what the blueprint is about and help develop, be a part of this blueprint, but also develop a, a blueprint for their own community? Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you for asking that question, Michelle. Um, first of all, I want to thank you for using this medium to broadcast the work that we do at Black Women's Friends. That's one medium that mm-hmm. we use to put the word out and let sisters know that we are a tribe of black women. Um, you know, I, I, the word tribe, I wanted to reserve it for our internal purposes, and I said membership. But yes, it is absolutely a tribe of black women who are coming together mm-hmm. and saying that we are taking our power back, right? And we're making demands on this, organiza- on, on this um, government. And so one of the ways that we do that is through social media. We do do trainings. We have curriculum um, that, are, that are there to offer um, members of the community awareness and raise awareness on, on the traumas that are plaguing us, the, the, the policies that are affecting us as well. And so there are different ways that we do that. Now, in terms of 
um, creating the blue, you know, a model that is similar to the one that we, you know, the, 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 I guess the, the seed of it, right, um, is, to, is to really reach out to us. You know, um, our website, www.blackwomensblueprint.org, gives you all that information. We are on Facebook. You, you type, you Google black women, mm-hmm. black women's blueprint, and you find all of us there, and you've got our information. You can reach out to us and just ask for your specifics. Um, and so we'll support you. In terms of training, we go out there. Um, mm-hmm. We go out, you know, our staff, we travel. I travel back and forth. Um, we have uh, uh, um, Erica, who's also out there in the field. Mm-hmm. Um, Sarah's always traveling. She does more international work. Um, mm-hmm. But we're, we're on the ground going, you know, to Atlanta, going to different places and, and teaching. We have town halls. So the March for Black Women, we have town halls. And we also have online engagement. And so when, you know, when we cannot physically move ourselves into another state, we tell people to engage on our online um, internal communications. So people come, okay. can come in and zoom in um, to our curriculum and they get information. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the resources are there. And if there's something specific that a particular town wants, then yes, absolutely email us, mm-hmm. call us, and mm-hmm. give us your specs, and then we'll negotiate internally how we can support you in that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'd also um, just add quickly, as well as the main website, um, we have a blog. It's uh, www.mamablack, um, all lowercase, uh, .org. And we offer a lot of our analysis, um, our political mm-hmm. and cultural analysis um, yes. that way. And we also have um, the March for Black Women website um, that is linked to Mama Black. And we always encourage folks, um, if they want to submit, there's a, a submission button. Um, we'd love to amplify the voices of black women, of girls. We have a Girls Create program. Um, and not just, you know, writing. It can be a video. It can be a visual art. Um, it can really be anything creative. So just wanted to throw that out there. Okay. Now, I know and what y'all like. I mean, although you said that you get some funding, but you're donation-driven. Um, yes. What are your different donation levels, and tell me about that. <clears throat> Our donations level, come, you know, goes from five dollars a month to twenty-five dollars a month to a thousand dollars a month. It all depends on your capacity. Um, mm-hmm. And so, members, members, some of our members initially, they, it was just their time because time is also valued, right? Skills are also valued. So even though, um, you know, there's not a compensation of monetary compensation, the fact that a member or volunteered their time to come in and, you know, spruce up the space or help us facilitate something in the house, that's donations. Those are donations to us. If you mm-hmm. have, we also have an economic solidarity initiative in the, in the organization where we exchange, we do swap shops, we do a barter exchange every season. We have clothes donated to us, baby clothes, you know, women, adult clothes, work clothes, so that we can support each other. We do skills share barter um, within the membership, within the tribe, right? So if someone is, mm-hmm. is, is um, uh, skilled at, you know, tech, Ish, you know, things in coding, they can volunteer their time to work with the girls on coding. And so these are the ways that we offer volunteerism and, and membership and, and donations. And so, you know, anyone who wants to donate can definitely do that through monetary donations as well, from 5 
25 to $1,000 um, or whatever it is that, you know, that they are able to do. And we, again, we, you know, Erica mentioned sustainability, and I want to emphasize that, that ultimately we have to remain sustainable because uh, today, uh, you know, with the, with the government shutdown, with everything that has been happening mm-hmm. these recent weeks, we know that we're not secure to receive government funding, right? Mm-hmm. Even whether we are, we are, we're hanging in the balance, and that's all of us, right? Um, and so we want to make sure that we can sustain ourselves. And this is how, you know, going back to creating our own table comes into power, right? Mm-hmm. We have to create our kitchen table. We have to create mm-hmm. our own sustainable, our own funding. Um, and so membership, how, whatever you can donate, please do so because the work, we are doing it and it is successful in our communities. Well, you know, and I think too that, that I mean, and that, that part is so important. And I know people who, like they wait till the end of the year and, you know, mm-hmm. and, oh, can I write it on my tax return? Well, I'll tell you, you know, and I've, I've, been, I've been on your website looking. And probably <laughs> for less than what many people spend on a mm-hmm. quick run through Target, right. they could be making a difference in yes. the lives of black women. People have to think about that and how do you value things and – it's about not only about you as a woman, it's about your daughter, your granddaughter, for that yes. little black child who's born each and every day yes. that you want black women's blueprint to be there for them. Absolutely. Yeah. You know. Prevention is key, and that's what we so, offer. We offer intervention, and we also offer in prevention. That's the key element of our organization. We do mm-hmm. preventive work. Well, ladies, we've come to about the end of our time here together. I want to thank, thank you. You. Um, you know, I sometimes sort of when I get into to New York, I'm seeing so many people, but I'm going to let you know next time I'm there, and I hope to connect with you in person. And yeah. um, not only that, but because, you know, like I said, it meant something to somebody to when they were talking about what had helped them form as a young black woman. I hope to sit at your table. Sure. I hope to walk in solidarity with you and to always have your back. Wonderful. Thank you so very Thank much, Thank you Michelle, so much. Yes. Oh, it was okay. a pleasure well, and an honor to do this work with you. Thank you again. Mm-hmm. Thank you for your time. We've come to the end of another episode of Collections by Michelle Brown. I want to thank today's guests, Shirley Exime and Erica Ayodele Dixon of the Black Women's Blueprint. You can listen to this or past episodes of the show on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Blog Talk Radio. Be sure and like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and let us know if you have a suggestion for a guest or topic for a future show. Join us next week when I'll again introduce you to another amazing individual who's living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change. That's right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening.